Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If the God of the Bible really exists, I would go gladly to hell. And anybody happy to go to heaven to worship such a creature is morally bankrupt. It is because God's wrath is real that his mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, the biblical concepts of mercy and of grace are robbed of their meaning. It's time for Wretched Radio. With Todd Frio. Welcome to 10 Tips to Help You Not Become a Heretic. This is Wretched Radio. Who wants to be known as a false teacher, actually? <laughs> a lot of people, apparently, because we have a slew of them. But you don't want to be on the false teacher list. And so for your consideration, courtesy of Cripplegate.com, 10 tips to keep you from straying into the weeds of heresy. This is actually a list that was compiled from a lecture given by Nancy Guthrie at Christ College in Sydney. The subject was biblical theology, and she offered 10 ways that biblical theology helps Christians. Specifically, it helps us to rightly divide the word of truth, because these days there are far too many of us and far too many youth, perhaps even especially youngins, that don't really understand the overarching narrative of the Bible. They don't know where things fit. They know stories, but they don't know the story. And so you can ask a young person, hey, Nick, give me one of your favorite stories. Oh, David and Goliath. Cool. Where does that fit in the biblical narrative? What? They, they, they don't. It's just a story. And I remember this because I remember when I first started reading the Bible, when I was desiring to understand it, it was, it was, this is why so many people can just flop their Bible open. I'm going to read the Bible. I'll just put it on its binding and read it right there because it doesn't really matter. Hopefully it's something interesting. Otherwise, I'm out. We need to make sure that our children understand there is a flow to Scripture. It is a story of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is historical narrative, actual history, and it is not wandering aimlessly. It is purposeful. And we need to do perhaps a better job of helping our kids use biblical theology when they read the stories of the Bible. Uh, let's tackle our top 10 ways to not become a heretic. Number one, biblical theology makes Bible study Christ-centered instead of me-centered. If you remember that the Bible is about Jesus, you're less inclined to ask, what does that verse say to me? Now, there is an application for me and for you, but the question is, what does this verse say about God? What does this tell me about Jesus Christ? If all of creation is like a spotlight, it is aimed at the throne of Jesus. We need to make sure when we're reading our Bibles that we are reading it to know him and to focus on him, and then we can apply it to us. From the article, failure to study the Bible this way leads to interpreting Scripture by how it relates to you, which leads to selfishness and pride. And I don't know about you, but I got plenty of that, and I don't need no more. Number two, 
Biblical theology teaches the larger story of the Bible instead of disconnected vignettes. What in the world is... Actually, I think I've had a vignette on my salad once in a while (laughs) from the article. By tying the parts into the whole, you see the gospel is central. Failure leads to reading Bible stories as if they were written to teach moral lessons. That's why so often so many sermons... Okay, open your Bible to 2 Samuel. Thought we're going there. Okay. And then we read about somebody. We may or may not be familiar with them. And then we are given a moral lesson. There could be a moral inside of that historical narrative, but that's not the point, the preeminent point of the Bible. It's to help us to see God's plan of redemption promised in Genesis 3.15 in the beginning. Man sins. We are now faced with death, thorns, pain, and childbearing. And God promises, I'm going to send a seed to crush the head of the serpent, but it's going to bruise his heel. Who's the seed? That's what the whole Bible is about. It is not uncommon for us at Wretched to receive emails from people asking, which is an excellent question. How do I tackle this book? How do I read this thing? Well, there are a lot of different ways you can slice the bread, but... If we don't remember that the Bible is about the bread of life, we're just going to start knowing stories. I'm thinking back now. I remember being catechized. That's right. I said catechized. And we had to memorize stuff, a lot of stuff. And then you had to stand there by yourself in a room with a teacher who quizzed you on it to make sure you knew. When did King David live? Did which came first, Abraham or Moses? We need to be teaching those dates inside of the context of the big story. And biblical theology helps us to do just that. Number three, biblical theology helps us make sense of the whole Bible rather than the part of what we happen to like. It's easier to understand narratives over types. So we focus on the stories that we dig instead of things like, what do you mean Jesus is the tabernacle? Wait wait a second. David is a picture of Jesus. Let's just read about David and his son Absalom so we can have some parenting tips about how to be a better dad. We like that. That's not the reason that we have David in the Bible. It is to point to Jesus, who's the better David. We need to use biblical theology number four. It helps us to understand challenging stories instead of questioning God. Here's an example, Hosea. This is a story. Wait, you want the guy to marry a prostitute? What? Why in the world would God do that? It's to paint a picture for us of God's patience and faithfulness and willingness to Forgive. That is what Hosea is about, not how to control your wife. Although I suspect that sermon has been preached more than once. Number five, biblical theology leads us to study what we need to know most instead of what we want to know most. Without biblical theology, we have a tendency to approach the Bible like a great big concordance. I need to know something about spending. I'm going to go look up the word money. Okay, that's fine. We can certainly do that. In fact, frankly, we should do that. 
I find that to be a fun exercise. Yep, I'm that dorky. But that doesn't really help us to understand the Bible when we go look for this and we're scattershot and all over the place. Instead, remembering the arc of the story, you turn to that section of Scripture and you remember this is about Jesus. This is pointing to him. Now, you might say there's an awful lot of details in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then they, they get taken away to Assyria, then Babylon, then per, Persia. Wow, wow, wow! What, how is that all pointing to Jesus? It's God's faithfulness to his Abrahamic covenant of a land, a nation, and a seed. That is what the Old Testament is about. Now, you read it that way, and suddenly it's like, oh, I get it. This thing actually flows and goes. If we apply biblical theology, it focuses on the consummation of all things rather than on the individual's arrival in heaven. I thought this was interesting. When we don't read the Bible, understanding the great narrative is Jesus. It leads to themes terminating on self. And those thematic chords terminate when the individual gets saved and has the assurance of heaven. Biblical theology pushes you forward to consummation. The story isn't done. God did not raise Jesus from the dead and then go, all all done, let's move on. No, he's still working, building his church for the consummation of all things. Number eight, biblical theology helps us make sense of suffering. Oops, I forgot seven. That's okay. Seven wasn't very good anyway. I'll just be honest with you. Biblical theology helps us make sense of suffering by finding answers in how we relate back to God rather than finding answers in our circumstances. Let me explain. Biblical theology drives somebody who is hurting to a deeper answer. Because sin has wrecked the world and sin causes death, and we are weak with limited knowledge, but God knows all things, gave up his only son so that we could be united with him in the resurrection and restored to the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, that's the role my suffering plays. But if you remove the big picture, your suffering is rather random, perhaps capricious, and you're getting angry with God. Number nine, biblical theology equips us to communicate gospel to the kids rather than moralism. David and Goliath ain't about how to be brave. It's about Jesus, the better David, slaying Sin on our behalf, number 10, biblical theology stirs up affection for Christ and gives us a greater longing for his return. The most practical thing a pastor can do is teach his congregation to love Jesus and long to see his face. That's more practical than a three-step parenting sermon series that helps you to manage your money better. Question, when you read your Bible, Are you using biblical theology to love Jesus more? This is Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa 
And the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today, where we're on a mission to reach millions of people all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're so grateful and thankful for all of our gospel partners who have supported us in the past, but we need your help to continue our mission. I think it was last week, maybe it was the week before, but I opened my email and Kurt and Jessica, faithful Wretched supporters, had written in and shared a testimony with us where they said in part, quote, we have always loved listening to your program, but in a tough time, we're even more grateful for the knowledge you've been instilled. And that's it, y'all. That's why we exist at Wretched. Everything we produce here at Wretched is made with a high view of scripture and a high view of good stewardship. So let me just take a second. I want to thank you for your previous generosity. And I also want to ask for your continued prayerful and financial support. You can find out more about becoming an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel Partner at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at preborn centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Know your reformers. Martin Luther was a German monk and professor who was plagued with doubt about his salvation. When he finally read the Bible for himself, he rediscovered the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. His bold witness for biblical truth was the spark that ignited the Protestant Reformation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Life lessons from Little House on the Prairie. This is Wretched Radio. Do you recall the skirmishes that took place in Minnesota on the prairie, when people gathered to figure out who's going to be teaching our kids, we need ourselves a school marm. Who's it going to be? This one, that one. We need somebody who really qualifies for the role because they're going to be responsible for teaching our kids. What I'm trying to say is school battles began a long time ago. Fast forward off the little house. You can go to the East Coast. 
seminaries started by godly men for the propagation of the gospel. Think Princeton. Think Harvard. You know, the old Veritas school that was connected to Christ. These were all institutions that had a Christian purpose. If you visited any of the Ivy League schools, you've noticed it's not the same. They do not appear to look the way that they were created to exist. Instead, we find ourselves looking at liberal bastions where people are being indoctrinated by, well, frankly, let's just get used to saying it, Marxism. It's what's being downloaded constantly to the kids, not to mention the smut that they are exposed to. What happened? Well, we recognize that schools are important. That's why Christians founded and started them. But the liberals also recognize, hey, wait a second. If we can control the mind of a kid, we got them for life. A fellow with a really bad German mustache understood that. You got to get the kids. And so liberals invade schools They rarely start up a liberal institution, although these days you probably could and it would be successful. But historically, because all of our institutions were started way more conservatively slash biblically, they go in and they take them over. They they make their way into positions of power and then they start downloading their theology, which is lacking God. So I guess it would just be ology is what it. No, it'd just be Lodgy is what, yes, it would just be their Lugus that gets downloaded to the kids and it gets infested into the systems. And so we see universities toppling down. Fast forward to today, the battle is raging in local schools. No doubt you have seen some of the videos of parents who have had the courage to stand up at a school board meeting and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me let me just read to you from this book that is in your library. And they shut the person down because it's so dirty. They don't want anybody hearing it, which is why they're controlling the libraries. We just saw this in Texas because a couple of people complained. Certain books got put onto the the watch list of books that need to be reconsidered in light of the new creden- the new criteria that is used to determine if that's appropriate for kids or not. Now, thankfully, there's a couple of books in there that should be on there that Bobby wants to be Sally, but the Bible is on that list. What is going on? It's the battle for our schools. For your consideration. Here are some of those skirmishes, which, by the way, have led to 2 million students leaving public schools since 2020. A group called Education Next. Apparently, they're nonpartisan. Is anybody really? Public schools declined from 81 to 76.5%. Charter school enrollment went up 5%. Private enrollment increased 1.7%. And homeschooling went up 0.6%. Perhaps it's because a lot of people are recognizing, (laughs) I just can't leave my kid in that cauldron. Let's take a look at Australia. Now, this happens to be Australia, but I think this is going. No, there's one in Australia. This stuff is here. According to the Herald Sun, a girl identifies as a cat. 
and the private school she attends allows her to be nonverbal and act feline as long as she doesn't become a distraction to other students. Um, I think you automatically become a distraction to other students when you're allowed to sit there and meow and lick your paws that you don't actually possess. This particular school, hey, if that's the way you express yourself, then we're just going to leave you alone. This is going on in the States. It's going on in Australia. I know it because I know teachers and they tell me so. People thinking that they're cats and schools that say, yeah, that works. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And speaking of cats, it seems to me that if we are all thumbs up as a culture about genital mutilation with our children when it comes to their genders, shouldn't we come up with a procedure to apply a tail to these feline kids? Shouldn't we help them grow fur all over their body? Shouldn't we help them? Got to cut off their finger. See, what you can do is you can just cut off their fingers. And then that's almost like a paw. And even as I say this, anybody with an ounce of common sense would go, don't be ridiculous. And I say, bingo. How unimaginable is it that we are allowing our kids to be put under a surgeon's scalpel to mutilate their bodies? Speaking of which, received a really thoughtful email from Ron. He said, maybe we can use the Mott and Bailey when it comes to genital mutilation or gender care. You know, the Mott and Bailey, we have a concept we agree on. Then we somebody goes out to the streets to apply it in a really wonky way. You tag them on it and then they go back to the original premise and say, well, don't you want it to be like we agreed? We're arguing over the application of it, but this is a liberal tactic that I actually think that we could use. So let's let's try to Martin Bailey back at progressives. Wouldn't you agree we shouldn't mutilate people's bodies? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Therefore, we shouldn't allow gender reconstructive surgery. Hey, we got to let people be people. But don't you want people to not have their bodies mutilated? <laughs> See what we did right there? It's a Martin Bailey. Maybe we could use that in our schools. California school refuses to change long-held policy. This is since, I think they've been in business since 1970-something. It's a Christian school, therefore they have rules about how you can behave. Fancy that. Well, that rascally teacher sent out an email to everybody saying, just want to remind you parents, these are our standards and values regarding sexuality, and if somebody acts outside of those bounds, they will be sent home. Oh! oh! Death threats. The guy is receiving death threats. It's in Florida, and this, uh, this is uh, Grace Christian School. The administrator is standing firm. He's standing up and saying, look, this is what we've always taught. I can't believe that you don't understand this. Why are you suddenly coming after us? Oh, yeah, because morality has changed and they don't want schools that don't indoctrinate children with their foolishness. This guy, quote, if I back down from something like this, I'm abandoning what God has said is the truth. I kind of rack my brain to like, how is this hard for people to understand? <laughs> this is what God said. 
This is one of the many reasons we have a Christian school, and we're not going to abandon this policy. God has spoken on these issues. I think this is an example of an individual who is demonstrating the courage that is necessary to not be silent in these situations. Now, the man's family has been receiving death threats. Other teachers, I believe, have also received death threats. Nevertheless, he says, we, we just can't change it. Why? Quote, we believe that God created mankind in his image, male and female. We're different, but with equal dignity. In other words, that's the basis for our morality. Therefore, one's biological sex must be affirmed and no attempt should be made to physically change, alter, or disagree with one's biological gender, including but not limited to elective sex reassignment, transvestite, transgender, or non-binary gender fluid acts of conduct. I have no idea what most of that means. Schools, students in school will be referred by their gender on their birth certificate and be referenced in name in the same fashion. And the world is howling because he's simply saying, this is what God says. There's a battle for our schools going on right now. I have a stack of stories that indicate there is a lot of tussle happening. I'm not telling you that you've got to engage in that tussle. Everybody needs to decide, but we need to recognize if you totally lose those institutions, you, you've got a culture that is just going to continue to devolve. What can you do? I think you need to figure that out based on your life. I, I think you need to determine how involved you want to be. You've got other considerations, other ministries. But might I suggest that we do not overlook the social skirmishes that are taking place and fail to remember there are wars going on for our schools. Nothing new under the sun. This is Wretched Radio. Now, time for Wretched News on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start with Netflix, who seems to be avoiding promoting a new kids show which features a non-binary animal and a same-sex couple. According to LiveSite, the show is called Animals on the Loose, and it features a non-binary sloth named Crystal and a same-sex couple of hyenas. <laughs> what could possibly be wrong with promoting any of that? And now on to some survey and study news. Some scholars are now questioning a study that says it has determined positive LGBT parenting outcomes, which means according to this study, children raised by same-sex parents are just as well adjusted as those raised by opposite sex parents. And some experts are questioning the methodology of the study. And look, I, I'm not an expert in anything, but I'd say that there's probably a lot more than the methodology we can question about the study. And in other study news, it seems more Americans are viewing evangelicals negatively than other religious groups. Now, that's no shocker. And the report says that 44% of Americans have an unfavorable view of evangelicals. And to that, I say, okay, and look, don't forget our goal not to please people, but to please God. 
A convicted child rapist in Louisiana is reportedly going to be chemically castrated, according to reports. The man who was convicted of raping a child has been ordered to undergo the chemical castration as a condition of his parole. And honestly, that's nothing to be upset about. Not sure why it's even a news story, but it is. And moving on, a left-wing group in Portland is holding a, quote, funeral in loving memory of public health <laughs> because their government no longer requires them to wear masks in healthcare settings. Ah, virtue signaling at its finest, eh? Now, a transgender activist, Dylan Mulvaney, you've heard of him. We've talked about him here. Well, now this guy is pretending that he's a six-year-old little girl. Yeah, uh, you know, it's one thing to pretend to be a different gender, but pretending to be a child, that's a whole new level of disturbing. And finally, Wyoming has become the first state to ban the use of the abortion murder pills. Good on you, Wyoming. And that has been your Wretched News. More Wretched Radio straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Zechariah was a prophet who preached God's judgment, repentance, and the promise of salvation to the Jews returning from exile. He relays a series of apocalyptic visions focusing on the coming of Christ, the final salvation of God's people, and the final judgment upon sinners. Remember that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of prophecy. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Todd, you okay? You know, hey, hey, we've started. Yeah, so have I, okay? <laughs> I don't know what you've started. This is Ratchet Radio. <laughs> I'm your host, Todd the Todd the Persian. I think that's, yeah, I'm a Persian cat. That's what I identify as. I like Todd Feline Frill better. Ooh, yeah. I see what you did right there. <laughs> Todd Feline Frill. It's, it's, sort of, it's sort of like, a, you know, like a race car driver who yeah. has a cool name. Yeah, that's Todd it. Feline. I'm your host, <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I'm a cat. You would say, we need to jump in and help that fellow. We need to rescue that individual from this delusion that they're actually a cat. And yet our schools allow it. They don't. I don't. If a kid comes to school with some sort of tail sewed onto the back of their blue jeans. <laughs> what, they've got a little collar on with a little bell that goes dingly, 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 ding. They, they, hey, knock it off. I don't think that should be the response at all. It should be, hey, let's talk about this and meet privately to get those young people some help. But isn't it wise to raise a question if kids are desiring to change their gender and their species by becoming cats, shouldn't we ask, why is this trend happening? Many people have observed it is because of the willingness of people to, first of all, put up with it, and second of all, because of the attention it garners them, third of all, because social media promotes it. I'm, this, is, this is not really an exaggeration. That you go online and you say, you know, it's it's the craziest thing, but I just sometimes feel like, you know, I got to scratch my neck. That's because you're a dog. Oh, I guess I'm, 
yeah, maybe I'm a dog. You say that's ridiculous. I say they're doing that with kids regarding their genders. You know, I, I, I'm kind of a tomboy. That's because you're a dude and not a goyle. That's what's going on online. But I think there's another realm that we should be peeking into to see what's the problem, what has changed in our world. I think that there are some institutions that we can take a look at to examine, have we changed? Are we failing young people in some way? The first institution, home. Are homes giving our kids the attention they need? Or is it possible that two-parent families that are, that are two-parent working families just aren't able to provide their kids the attention, and so they get it by becoming a kitty cat. Is that possible? Is, 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 is that maybe one of the reasons? Because kids, when they're buried in their phones, they're detached from relationship. They don't really get attention. That's why, that's why so many, they just live for the likes. We live for the thumbs up. We got to see how many views. Did anybody tag me on my post? Because it affirms and it gives attention that should be given inside of the home. Second institution, the church. Are we providing a community for our kids where they feel like they belong and that we care and that we're actually interested in them? And I'll go a step further, believe that they have something to offer to us. It's funny. When I share with people uh, something that I learned several years ago. Because it is true, there are generational differences. That has always been the case. But you've likely, if you're a little bit older, have recognized, huh, the kids these days, they certainly seem to view the world through a different lens. And that it doesn't have to be a pejorative statement at all. It's just that they do it differently. Now, do I agree with all of the ways that they are viewing the world? No. But one thing that I learned from studying the whippersnappers is, you know, there's some stuff about them that's really good. Huh. You know what? Maybe, just maybe, I and my generation could learn a little something from that. And that changed my tune about how to view generational differences. And it's funny. If I share that today, I get a mixed bag reaction. Some people are like, I don't know how you do it, man. These Gen Zs, they just drive you nuts with their work ethic. They don't want to do anything and they just want to live in a small house and travel. The That's one response. The other response is, yes, I've noticed that too. Maybe we all need to take a hard look and see if our churches send the message. We think you have something to offer. Because if not, all I can say is, there you go again. And now, without <laughs> any further ado... Okay. I just, just had to clean the back of my paw right there. A little, little what is cat, catnip. Catnip. What yeah. is catnip anyway? I think it makes them. Um, like it's like a drug. Yes, yes. What are we, we're, we're getting our cats stoned? I, I believe so, yes. What is the point of this? So that we can, they can just amuse us? Do they get hyper or do they just crash and then want I, some Oreo cookies? I think it happens either way. Oh. Different effects on different cats may vary. Here we go uh, for your consideration. A little and can you interpret that, Jimmy? No, not yet. Well, uh, do you hate me? 
<laughs> do I hate you? You are you are so animal. You're an animal phobe. You're a feline phobe. That's what you are, feline phobe. <laughs> That's exactly. Is a bad story about the schools. <laughs> is actually a good story about the schools. Oh, okay. Let's start with <laughs> a Utah teacher. That's right. I said Utah. Where are the Mormons? <laughs> she's waiting for pushback. I wonder if she'll get any because she set up her classroom for non-white students. That's right. The library inside of this particular classroom has some books that include straight cis white men. Yep, you have to say it like that because that's the disgust that comes behind it. Who, she says, dominate literature. Um, There's a reason there's something called history. As a teacher, I would think you would get that nevertheless. But this library in the non-white students classroom is overpowered that's her word by books depicting diverse peoples including characters of color different gender identities and sexual orientations there it is wonder if any mormons or christians because they're two different things will push back on that Wisconsin school board votes to ban pride BLM flags from classrooms. Salute to Kettle Moraine school board for saying, let's just get it all out. And by the way, that includes all, including religious posters or symbols. They don't want any of it. They, they, they don't want a rainbow flag. They don't want a BLM that, that, that promotes definitely a Marxist ideology. And they also don't want posters like back the badge. They just want this. Get it out. I don't mind that personally. I, I don't mind that. I'm OK with the school board, the school rooms being stripped of any ideologies, because even if we're allowed to put Christian stuff up, what Christian stuff is going to go up? The prayer of Jabez poster? Maybe just maybe this is good for Christians, too. The policy also includes banning teachers from including their preferred pronouns in email signatures. Wow. And that's in Wisconsin. Don't know if you've ever been there. It is a really great state. It is a lovely state. Just happens to be really liberal, <laughs> especially in Madison, Wisconsin. Woof, da. That is like just a beacon of progressivism. So salute to Kettle Moraine for saying, no, we're not playing those reindeer games. Loudoun County, Virginia. A father is seen in a video that's gone a bit viral, being tackled and dragged out of a school board meeting. T-shirt torn, hands cuffed, his mouth apparently bleeding. This 48-year-old dad committed the heinous crime of protesting the board's woke policy of gender-fluid bathrooms because... His daughter was sexually assaulted in one by a boy who, quote, sometimes wears a skirt. How offensive to women is that? That's all. It, Jimmy, you put on a skirt and say, no, it's not a kilt. Congratulations. You're a woman. Really? That's all it takes these days. By the way, the kid was ultimately arrested because he committed another assault elsewhere. In other words, the dad was vindicated. During the meeting, woke board members and some parents just wouldn't let him speak. They said they knew of no assaults in trans-friendly bathrooms and that the predator transgender student or person simply does not exist for losing his cool at this refusal to know the facts. 
Police took him out of the building. Texas schools hanging in God we trust signs after new state law requires donated signs to be posting. We'll see how that one works out. Okay. I'm okay with in God we trust. I'm okay with it. It wouldn't break my heart if it weren't there, but I'm okay with that. But yikes. When the Satanist club says we're a religious organization, here's our poster. It's a picture of Harry Potter. Sorry. That was really cheap, so let me apologize. (laughs) This is Wretched Radio. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Question, are you tired of the same old boring TV shows? Well, there is something that's not like anything else on Christian TV. It's transformed and it's back for season number two. You get to be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions tackling issues like depression, anxiety, OCD, and others. These are real people with real issues being offered real solutions by our hosts, Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson. So if you're looking for something different, you know, a show that glorifies God and demonstrates the sufficiency of His Word, then Transform is for you. It's a -a one-of-a-kind production that provides the hope and relief that only the Bible can give. The world is full of hurting people, even Christians, and many are completely unaware of biblical counseling and the answers it can provide. So join us for Transform Season 2, the show that will transform your walk with Christ and leave a profound and lasting impact on your life. Get your hands on it now and also consider grabbing the Sunday School curriculum for your church. You can find it at transform.org or the Wretched Store at wretched.org. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry. Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry. 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is giving. 
All Christians are commanded to give, but God has given some an extra measure of generosity so that they can give generously, knowing that God will provide for them as they work to provide for the needs of the church. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Yes, Pastor, I'm afraid we're talking about you. This is Wretched Radio, a subject that is near and dear to all of our Christian hearts because we all listen and love to hear preaching. We dig sermon hour. However, there are a lot of people who don't dig sermon hour. They prefer sermon 15 minutes. In other words, the debate over how long a sermon should go, it has been a raging battle. You'll hear people say, well, you know, the Puritans, two hours, three hours sometimes. So zip it when it comes to a 20-minute sermon. Okay, can we look back at history and determine how long a sermon should be? Or do we perhaps need, and this is always this is always a challenge, do we need to take a look at our current context and culture and ask how long should a sermon be? Not because I'm trying to accommodate people, but because I'm just trying to be wise. For, for instance, I could try to build the case. With your child, you need to lecture them on making their bed every day for two hours. I, I could I could make that case, not well, but I could make the case. And you would say, that's excessive. It's a child. They can't pay attention to anything for two hours like that. Unfortunately, these days, a lot of us are pretty childish in that regard. We can't pay attention. It's affected all of us. There is no question about it. Your viewing habits have changed. Here's a statistic for you to support that, I think, pretty obvious statement. Do you know how long a YouTube video has to keep somebody engaged? In other words, how long does it take for a person? They click on a YouTube video. The thumbnail caught their attention. The title was catchy. It applied to them. Click. How long does a the average person watch that video before determining to go, I'm out? Jimmy? 20 seconds. Not even close. Really? Mm-hmm. Want to try again? Five seconds. Three. Wow. Three seconds. Why? That's It's the way that we're all being trained. I got it. I, I felt it in myself yesterday. I'm busy. I actually left the office <laughs> and found myself in the basement of my house because I'm working on uh, 13 scripts for Road Trip to Truth season four. And I needed to concentrate. But guess what? Leaving the office and sitting in the basement of our house all by myself, I was still distracted. The phone is right there. Just right. And I kept texting you. I'll just check. You kept texting me. The (laughs) knife. But you can't help it. That's just the way that our brains are wired and trained. Maybe, just maybe, this rather helpful list from For the Church, 10 reasons your sermons shouldn't be too short or too long, will guide all of us without compromising. I I think the ideal is, hey, look, two hours, no no problem. That that should be. But are we really compromising on the focus and elevation that we put on the preaching of the Word of God by saying maybe there should be limits and there's some considerations that don't mean compromise, it just means wise, number one. Your sermon shouldn't be too short because Sunday is often the only Bible your people will get each week. Sadly, that's true. 
Some churches, and even in good churches, people dutifully go for whatever reason, and it's the only time that a Bible is spoken to them where they hear the word read or they hear preaching. Now, it could be somebody who's just checking out the church, but it could be the kids. It could be some parents who are still drinking a whole lot of milk, and it's the only milk that they get Sunday morning. So if you just do this 15-minute business, you're, you're just not feeding the people that need nourishment a lot. Number two, your sermon shouldn't be too short because the Word of God is worthy of sustained attention. Not drive-by sampling. Short shrifting the sermon communicates to the people that the Bible is not worth gazing at. This is a, this is a line that you're, you hear in YouTube in youth groups all the time. All right, man, let's just do it. We're just going to do this really quick, man. Open up your Bible. Okay, you don't have to open a Bible. That's okay. Don't worry. If you got it on your phone, that's cool. But don't worry. We'll get through this really fast. What does that communicate? Number three, your sermon shouldn't be too short. Because hearing from God, and I don't mean in a voice, I mean hearing from God through the mouth of a sinful man as the word gets exegeted, should have the most prominent place in the gathering. It should be longer than worship. I'm sorry. It just should. And these days, isn't the trend, when are we going to get to sit down? And on and on the music goes and the worship team, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and then, okay, everybody, morning. And then we zip through a sermon. What does it say? That singing songs to God is more important than hearing from God. This is not to suggest worship is insignificant. Of course it's not. But the word should be preeminent. Why? Because this is God's word. He's communicating to us. This is from Cripplegate. No, for the church. One and the same. God deserves our words, but he can live without them. We, on the other hand, cannot live without a word from God. Ain't it the truth? Number four, sermons shouldn't be too short because the church should subvert, not support, convenience culture. We recognize that we are getting trained to have a shorter and shorter attention span. The church needs to buck against that trend. No, we're not playing those reindeer games. We've got something worthy of your attention. And I think there's some validity to an argument to a degree. Hey, you can sit and watch a football game for three hours. Why can't you listen to a 30-minute sermon? To a degree, I get that. But let's be honest, it's a different thing. Listening to a sermon demands work, attention, some discipline, because our bodies buck against the consumption of the Word of God. Let's not go with the trend Don't make your sermons too short. The church isn't called to reflect the culture back to itself, but to train followers of Jesus to live in countercultural ways. Number five, sermons that are too short just don't do justice to biblical texts. What is too short? Well, let's take a look at the five ways that your sermon, five reasons your sermon shouldn't be too long, and maybe that'll answer your question. Number one, Overly long sermons often dilute the substance of meaningful exposition. This is really interesting from For the Church. My diagnosis for too long sermons is usually that the preacher's trying to do too much. You don't have to say everything the text brings to your preparation. Now, you, you, you can leave stuff out. 
A judicious self-editing is one of the preacher's best tools. If your sermon is too long, it's likely that you are distracting people with rabbit trails, soapboxes, varying perspective on the, on the text. Well, you know, this sect of Christians would say that maybe they, we don't need to, that can just be edited out because it dilutes the oh of a sermon. A verse should have a smack and a sting and a sermon should have a purpose and a point. You should feel it and be moved to love Jesus more when you're done. And if you're going all over the place, you're distracted, you're watering that down, and therefore your sermon is too long. Number two, there is such a thing as fatiguing people's ability to receive information. Just as it's not good to accommodate people's short attention span, it's also not good to test their endurance. Maybe build it up. Your people can only do 30 minutes. Okay. You can live with that for a bit. Then you start going 32, 34, 35. And you, you, you grow them and build them in that endurance. You don't test it. People have a limit when it comes to downloading information. This is not a compromise. Don't you want people to love Jesus more when it's all done? Of course you do. If you just go on and on because you think that we're compromising by not preaching the word for 75 minutes on a Sunday, well, then you're diluting the purpose of the entire endeavor. Number three. The aim of a sermon is worship, not exhaustive knowledge. That's, that's why I've heard Steve Lawson, who, who teaches expository preaching. He's the homiletics prof at the head of the division at Master Sem. And I think at Ligonier, he said, too many sermons are just a download dump. That's not what preaching is. Number four, it is better to leave people wanting more than wishing there'd been less. Many sermons are too long because the pastor just doesn't know how to land that plane. So if this this is from for the church, if you are looking to the clock and going, ah, I got to really hurry to get this out, you're probably just doing too much. And finally, number five, brace yourself for this one, pastor whom we love. You're probably not that good of a preacher. I didn't say it. This guy and this thing for the church said it. If somebody's been preaching faithfully for a few decades, they, they probably are better, and maybe those sermons can be longer, but maybe you're not there yet, and you should consider that. Don't worry. You'll grow. The Lord will expand your abilities. Don't think that you're, you're, you're being unfaithful because you don't go as long as some of the big boys can go. How long should a sermon be? Consider why it shouldn't be too short. Consider why it shouldn't be too long, and then arrive at that conclusion. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.